Welcome to the Illustrator Studio. I am Jesse Kowalski, Curator of Exhibitions at the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. The Illustrator Studio is a weekly interview series, a project of the museum's Rockwell Center for American Visual Studies. This interview with Bob Eggleton is the first of a two-part interview on his life and career. The second part will air next week. Today is a special treat as I get to speak with one of the masters of fantasy and science fiction illustration, Bob Eggleton. Eggleton has illustrated and written numerous books on fantasy and sci-fi, and between 1994 and 2004, won the prestigious Hugo Award for Best Professional Artist eight times, and was nominated an astounding 31 times. His art has been showcased in the 1995 book, Alien Horizons, The Fantastic Art of Bob Eggleton, and the 2000 volume, Greetings from Earth, The Art of Bob Eggleton. In 1995, Eggleton painted the cover for the Lovecraft-inspired Cthulhu 2000, a Lovecraftian anthology, a collection of stories by 18 horror and fantasy authors. His work brings to mind legendary illustrators from the past whom I will mention in a moment. As with many fans of his, I came to know Eggleton's work through his paintings of Godzilla and characters from the stories by H.P. Lovecraft. Eggleton's masterful brushstroke bring new life to established kaiju and ancient gods. In fact, he painted a stunning image of Lovecraft's Cthulhu for the Enchanted exhibition opening this June at Norman Rockwell Museum. I'm thrilled to speak with him today. Welcome, Bob. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, good, good. So yeah, I wanted to start off talking about some of your influences. Um, I can see the influence of a number of artists in your work. Um, I wanted to run through some of the artists and uh, get your input on uh, the impact that they've had on your career, if any, or or just what sure. you're doing. Sure, I can probably add to some okay, artists. Sure. Yeah, by. so um, how about the, the English artist, John Martin? Oh, my God, yeah. I, I, I flew to England just to see the special exhibit of his work in 2011. Uh, just it, the, the, the Tate Gallery did this this huge retrospective of his stuff, and they put out a catalog with... He, he hasn't been um, widely seen in a lot of art books made of him and things of that nature. So when they did this exhibition, it was I was just there, and they actually restored a painting that had sat since 1928, completely damaged. The middle was missing out of it, and they had a restorative artist go in, and they they she redid this entire scene and they did it with computer like targeting and pinpoints where the lighting would go and all this kind of stuff. And uh, it's Mount Vesuvius erupting and you can see where it's been restored and they, they it's just a fabulous piece to see. So they unveiled it there at that, that show because nobody had ever seen it. It was kind of lost work. And um, it, it, yeah, I love his epics. He, he was kind of the, the, an outcast pastor of some kind, I guess. And, he did these epics that resonate now as they do then. I mean, you know, uh, The Great Day of His Wrath, which is this incredible painting of like the earth being turned inside out by God and all of the false prophets and the money chain all being sucked into this huge abyss. And it's, it's, it's a fabulous, it's an amazing painting. He's got another one of a dragon and he's got another one of, it's all, it's all of it. When you really look at it, it's all fantasy artwork. It's just they didn't call it that then. They called it sublime, or they called it symbolist, or they or they called it um, you know allegorical, you know that, that sort of thing. They never said um, oh, romantic. That's the big word they use, mm -hmm. romantic. And they never they wouldn't do say fantasy because they I don't think it, they, anybody thought that at the time. Yeah, we'll, um, have one, we'll have one of his engravings in the exhibit uh, from Paradise Lost, uh, Satan in Council. Yeah. yeah, he did some amazing work uh, and. 
his paintings are, are just epic there. I mean, they are just every bit as epic when you see them up close. Uh, mm -hmm. He um, he's a major influence to me as Gustave Doré is. He's another one. And Gustave Doré was an influence for Frank Frazetta. And Frank Frazetta doesn't really talk about that too much, but it didn't talk about it too much at the time. But but his favorite when you, you, you would pin him down, his favorite artist was Gustave Doré. Um, OK, another artist, uh, Jose Segreas. Yes, he's amazing. Pretty, pretty, uh, um, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, Segreus, uh, uh, there was like, um, I think it was a father and son, wasn't there? It was like a two. I, I know one Segreus did a lot of dog book covers in the 1970s. And they, they he did a, this dragon graphic novel thing that's all painted in oils. And it's, it's just really, really, uh, that's Vincent Segreus. That's a Vincent Segreus. Okay. And I think that's I think it's a father and son kind of thing. And I I, I think or grandson or something like that. But anyway, he he did the um, he did the uh, uh, he did that. So I'm very familiar. They, they have very similar styles, but it's fantastic stuff. Yeah, I was thinking one, uh, one of your paintings in particular looked like uh, Segre's work from uh, War of the Worlds. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, another artist, uh, J. Allen St. John. Oh my God! Yeah, Jalen St. John. He's like the ultimate illustrator of Edgar Rice Burroughs, um, John Carter of Mars. I mean, he, with all all respect to everybody who's illustrated him since, Jalen St. John really had that that look to everything. He had that 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 real. Um, he just he really captured some romantic stuff and some incredible imagery and the way he did dinosaurs and uh prehistoric monsters and things of that nature it just it was just that he really made them they were third it was 30s kind of like uh, science that we knew but that's what he had to work with but that's why there's a charm in them and it's really terrific to see it and how about uh, pulp artist uh, margaret brundage yes brundage and i uh, margaret brundage very very nice uh stuff i I'm a big fan of a lot of the pulp artists, um, uh, a lot of them that uh, Hubert Rogers, he's another one. Um, they, they, there was a sort of a garishness, but also a simplicity to the work that was really attractive to me. And I, I really liked the, the, the use of a lot of, you know, a lot of icons of, of fantasy and science fiction in them that were just very, you know, they, 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 they really got to the core of it. I mean, Rogers put in, rocket ships you know you put in rocket ships and stuff like that and that it was something about that that was really nice and uh love past illustrator lee brown coy oh yeah well yeah really nice stuff um really beautiful uh kind of uh you know kind of a minimalist but it, but, it, but i really like that 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 kind of that it left more to your imagination that that's what i like about sort of the more uh looser and impressionistic artists um uh, they leave it leaves a lot to your imagination to look at it, and you can make up things you see within it uh another influence to me a big one for me was turner jmw mm -hmm. turner he he really really um his lighting and his implied details of things were incredible uh it just you know it, it just it, it, and he and as his and he got older dementia and his eyesight went like basically dementia said in his eyesight went all kinds of stuff he had he had lead poisoning is what i understand it and um his stuff got very filmy and weird and, and it was still really great it was still really great and um 
but uh, he's a big one. He's he did he's done some he's done some fantasy Apollo and the Python is a is a great one. Uh, um, there's another one of a, 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 a slaying a dragon, which and you can barely see the dragon, but but it's there and and it's it's just it's implied. It's very implied implied in there. Okay, another artist, uh, Virgil Finlay. Yes, Virgil Finlay, beautiful. Now many people knew they always. Uh, uh, lauded him for his pointillist and his scratchboard and ink techniques and things like that, but they never really uh, realized he was also a painter too. And and he did very few paintings, but what ones he did were really really spectacular. And uh, the last one I ask you about uh, is John Berkey. Oh yeah, John John Berkey. He kind of invented the 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 the, the spaceship pile the, <laughs> made of like junk as it were before it all became very popular and that's what sort of it came like a concept art stuff and Berkey had an incredible um output of work especially in the 70s uh he was a big movie poster artist he did he did things like he did a movie poster for a thing called the Neptune Factor which is yeah. an it's an awful film it's it's a terrible <laughs> movie it's got like the special effects something like an aquarium. It looks it looks terrible, but the poster made it look like this like epic monster movie, and it was great. And the poster was the best thing about it. And there was and and he did the art for King Kong, the nineteen seventy six King Kong. And what had happened was is that um, uh, he did the initial poster, and back then they worked with telex machines. They didn't have fax or internet. They were telex. And he did this scribbled out idea of what it was. And they said, we'll do that. And they did this painting and they got the announcement poster, as it were. And then later on, uh, Dino De Laurentiis came along and said he needed 10 more paintings done uh, to help promote the movie. Because what was happening was they didn't want to show. It was highly touted, if you remember at the time, there was going to be this big robot full-size Kong that was made by Carlo Rimbaldi and all it really did for 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 10 seconds is raise its hands like that and then that's that's all you see of it in the movie and the rest of it's Rick Baker in a, in a really good uh ape suit <laughs> um but they didn't want to say that they didn't want to promote that they 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 wanted to say it was this this is this giant robot thing and um what had happened was they so Dino what he did rather than release photos of Rick Baker in the in the ape suit was that he he had John Berkey paint these ten these eight or ten paintings I forgot what it was I, anyway John had he had something like two and a half weeks to do them in and when he was done he was hospitalized with pneumonia because he got yeah. so sick from not getting any rest and um, he got him done but he had a way of painting in mirrors like he never looked at his work like looking at it he would look at a mirror as he was painting like a kind of a, mirror, a strange mirror system where he would look at it in reverse as he was painting and that way he claimed that you got a lot more balance going on and things of that nature but he was so iconic he did posters the towering inferno he did uh tons of movie posters that you you, you didn't even think that he did because they looked photographic because it was they were done so big they were done absolutely gigantic and and he did them and then he got, he sort of uh, segued into like things like um, uh, some book covers and everything like that in the 1980s. And uh, uh, basically the, 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 all the stress of it, it gave him a heart uh, condition that, uh, that, he, that he eventually passed away from. Um, but it was a, a, a really, uh, um, he, he, he was just absolutely amazing artist that contributed so much to science fiction. And, he, and I consider him very underrated in the mm -hmm. community of science fiction, not in illustration. Illustration, he's a god. 
But in the community of science fiction, nobody thinks of John Berkey. Nobody says, oh, you know, um, you know, John Berkey did like 250 covers or something like that. And and nobody he, I don't even think he got a Hugo nomination or anything. Maybe one. I, I don't know. I don't think it was very many, but it was he 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 did. He did so much mainstream art that that the science fiction art was kind of a side thing. Um, are there uh, any illustrators I missed? Oh, I you know I mean I could name a hundred more of artists that I like. <laughs> Everybody I see, I, I I get so inspired by their work. You know, I mean it's 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 um, uh, you know it, it it a lot of the great. I go back to a lot of the classical artists to get my style. Um, uh, it was it was kind of nice because they 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 I tell a lot of younger artists don't don't start copying somebody who's hot right now. Go back to like what these <laughs> guys got inspired by. Don't be another Frank Frazetta. You never will be. Go back to what these guys were inspired by and start your own style from that. And that's what, you know, I mean, Ray Harryhouse was inspired by uh, Gustave Doré. Um, these great, um, you know, these great jungly scenes that he did in etchings that were just incredible. And and that's how they, they, they the, the original King Kong movie was inspired by that. So. Yeah, it seems that Norman Rockwell in the beginning of his career uh, copied a lot of uh, Lion Decker's work until he really uh, developed his own style, like you said, based on um, illustrators of the past. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, and it was like something about Rockwell's work was so storytelling. It just you you didn't it, it it you could just stare at it and it would just tell the story right there and. And that's what, in one look, one look would do it. And it was that, that's how, that's, that's the, that's the marvelousness of his work, you know. I categorize your images generally as uh, weird fantasy, uh, but how do you, how, how do you define the genre of fantasy illustration in which you work? I kind of like say weird, weird fantasy. Um, I've, I've done a few, you know, I do dragons and things of that nature, uh, but there's always an edge to them. I, I'm not, um, uh, I'm not one for doing the more lighthearted stuff. I, I've tried it, but I'm not sure it's in my psyche to do that. And there's other artists who do it better than I. So, so uh, it's it's just not something that I do. Uh, but but uh, the 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 idea, the concept of of these um, of of showing these these dark images, uh, I, it, it goes back to mythology for me. It's a sort of a mythological thing. It's, it's, if you, if you're into, uh, the concepts of, um, you know, you look at these great tales, these great, the Odyssey, Homer's the Odyssey. I mean, they had monsters in it. You know what I mean? It's like, so you have all those things and everything is so left up to interpretation. And the Japanese have these incredible, um, stories of the beasts of Yamato, they're called, um, uh, and it was the, the, the seven-headed giant dragon they have, and 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 then the, the yoke, the yokai, yokai, which are the Japanese ghosts. And one of those little guys is called a kappa, and he's this really you just research him, and he's just this little mischievous ghost. Um, and um, then he has a plate of pickles on his head or something like that, and he's just and he and they live in the water, and they live, and and um, die pictures back in 1966 or seven. They made these series called Yokai, Yokai Spook War. And it was these three movies that are barely, rarely seen in the United States. And they are absolutely the weirdest thing you'll ever see in your life. Just like, and it's all done with these practical effects. You know, it's just, and it's just people being 
ter- like an umbrella with a tongue and a one eye on it. I mean, it's, it's really strange stuff. And you think about it, you think it looks silly, but the way they film it, it's scary as hell. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and when you go back to those great myth- myths of that, um, you know, you look at that, the Chinese, dra- the, the, the Asian dragon uh, that, uh, uh, you know, great, represents great wisdom. Um, and it's ornate and very, um, um, I got one right here, actually. It's, it's very ornate and very, very um, colorful and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And it, and, 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 it, and it battled, you know, there was, there was kind of encounters with a, uh, a being called Wu, uh, Wukong or known as the Monkey King. And that's another great story. And, and it's, it's this great mythology and it's, it's, it's very Asian and uh, all of this stuff works forward to feed my imagination to what I do, um, because you wonder, you know, this is where it all comes from. This is where the beasts, uh, you know, this is where Godzilla originated from was these these myths of giant beasts. Um, all of it was like that. So that's why I like and H.P. Lovecraft, when he did his 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 monsters, he he determined that his monsters were these badly well people saw them as ghosts so to speak or demons but he determined that they were like the the creatures bad astrology as he called them they were they were creatures from another realm that came through uh, the old ones uh and they came from a planet far far out in the solar system and they came here on leathern leathered wings and things of this nature and and basically you had this concept of uh it's kind of a mythology and, and it turns into uh, later on people thinking it's ghosts and poltergeists and things like that. Um, let's travel back in time for a moment to imagine a young Bob Eggleton. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is this kid doing? What is he, what, what kind of movies, TV shows or books uh, is he well, watching? How young? I mean, we're going back to like how young? Uh, uh, let's say 10 to 17. Oh boy. I, well, at nine, I can tell you a funny story. I was taken to see the movie 2001 Space Odyssey, which is my favorite movie. It really is. And my favorite science fiction movie. And uh, I was sitting in there and the theater and my my mother was with me and some other people we come along and they said, well, you know, if you don't understand this film, you know, just talk to us about it afterwards. And, 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 you know, maybe, maybe we can, you know, help you kind of understand it. Well, guess who explained it to them? You know what I mean? And I was nine. And so my whole thing was like famous monsters of Filmland, uh, which I got to later on in life, uh, 35 years later, got to do the covers to um, uh, famous monsters of Filmland. There was uh, uh, comic books. Um, there were movies and we didn't have DVDs or VHS or any of that kind of stuff. So we had like these little, this little mom and pop theater down the street where I used to live and it's gone now. But they would show all kinds of, of, of dinosaur and monster movies on weekends and things of that nature. So it was really, you know, all of that was fueled for the fire. And I'd come home and draw them on, on paper and stuff like that nature. And, and uh, that's that's sort of when I, I was really, you know, really form, formulating ideas in my head of where, you know, what I, I really liked. And, um, you know, some people worry. They said, oh, you know, he's into these monsters. It's kind of dark and scary and all that <laughs> stuff. Well, you know, the monsters for me was something I identified with because monsters are so misunderstood. The Frankenstein monster, the, the, the Boris Karloff in the, the first two Frankenstein films, he plays such a misunderstood, tragic figure. And 
tra- he's, he's trapped in a world he never made and he he he's stuck with it and it's the same with any of these monsters he, godzilla any of the creature of the black lagoon any of them they they all came from this time when when there was a um uh you know they 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 were unearthed by man so to speak they were brought into the world in some way they were left on their own they were the creature of the black lagoon he was left on his own he was fine and then man goes to hunt for him and he becomes hostile and um and and uh and you know he he fights back at them you know what i mean so so you know, it's, it's not really his fault. It's, it's their fault for coming to his world and, and uh, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I've read that that's why a lot of uh, kids identify with those characters is because, you know, they, they do sympathize with the, the, the way right. that they're misunderstood and things. Exactly. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing. Um, uh, um, and and you, when you, you see this thing, they, I mean, like Godzilla started off as nuclear horror that was inspired by... Um, inspired by believe it or not king kong uh tomiyuki tanaka who was the head of toho pictures at the time they played king kong in japan and it did very very well and then they played the beast on the Twenty Thousand fathoms which did very very well so they came up with the idea of this giant sea creature that was first was envisioned as an octopus it was going to come out of the water well an octopus became technically a problem to film so they made it into a, a dinosaur-like creature and thus godzilla was born and he be, he was such a popular hit that through the ages, as Japan changed and Japan became more industrialized nation, they, they, they post war they became industrial, very industrialized, very commercialized. Um, they the, the the directors of the film started putting these. The director uh, Ishiro Honda started putting in a political angle to it about showing, you know that 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 especially in King Kong versus Godzilla and then Godzilla versus uh, Mothra versus Godzilla, that there was like money hungry people that wanted to make money off these monsters. And, and, and then of course they, they, they wind up meeting their own ends badly because of that. Yeah. There's a great one. I don't remember the name of it, but it's about uh, pollution. Uh, it, Godzilla it's... versus the smog monster. Good. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's a great one. So w- were there other things or, or people that inspired you growing up? Yeah, there was, I mean, like, I mean, you know, my dad's, my dad was great. He, he sat me down and he, when I was sick, when I was very young, and this is way back, he would sit me down and we would do drawings on a big chalkboard and he showed me how to do perspective and he showed, and he was a, he, he was a kind of an all around guy. He's an inventor. He did architecture, he did drawings and, and blueprints and architecture and all that kind of stuff. And, and he, he showed me how perspective kind of works and um, you know, and it was, and we did it cause I was, I was very ill when I was young and, um, he, um, said, uh, that, uh, it was, it was uh, something that, uh, you know, he, he put it into me about like using a lot of common sense and, and, uh, and stuff like that. He was, uh, he was, a, he was a good guy. Uh, did you always know that you wanted to paint for a living? Um, uh, well, draw. Um, I used to buy comic books and I, at one point I was so young and had this naive idea that every single comic was drawn for me. Um, and you know, of course that wasn't the case. And I, what I did was I did, uh, I did, um, uh, I, I loved all the old Jack Kirby comic books from Marvel comics. And, uh, and, you know, back when you five, a dollar, a dollar could buy you five comics, you know, and, and. Mm-hmm. The painting that's got interested in me was, it was an artist named George Wilson, who's an illustrator. 
And he did the covers to a thing called Boris Karloff Tales of Mystery. Mm -hmm. And it was a gold key comic. And he did all the gold. Gold key was the only comic company that they sprang out of Dell Comics. They're the only ones that had painted covers. Marvel Comics wasn't doing that quite yet. And they did Marvel magazines, which got into that. But Gold Key actually had these painted covers and they had monsters on them and they were just incredible. I mean, they were just like, you know, there it was. It was just like, I mean, I'm going, that's what I want to do, you know? And, and uh, so I was about 11 when I made that decision. Yeah. So you studied at art school for, I think, about 18 months before uh, dropping out? Yeah, uh, I went to, I, yeah, it's a long story about that. I, I was at, okay. Let's go back to 1978, and I was looking at art schools, and and I get a good story about a teacher too. Uh, what had happened was I went to run school of design to take, take a tour of the place and all that, and they were just in this time of let's call it uh, post Vietnam, post Watergate, that whole kind of time in the 70s when everybody was just really, oh, uh, they were kind of really laid back, and then everybody was deciding that that realistic art really what representational art was a thing of the past they were deciding well you know why do that when you can put a pile of dirt in the middle of a room and stick two shovels in it and and that's your comment on society and that's what was happening to a lot of schools they, they weren't teaching that i saw and this is and again this is 1978 that i saw they weren't doing the basic drawing they weren't doing the basic the real basic skills that you need like drawing and all that it was a very different time and what had happened was, um, so, you know, my parents said, do you want to go to this RISD? And I was like, you know, and I mean, mind you, at the time, it was five or $6,000 a year. I mean, it's nothing now. <laughs> anyway, so I said, you know what, I, I really want you to save your money. And so instead, I went to Rhode Island College because I went up there and their art department was all RISD teachers. So I said, okay, I could do that for $600 a year. You know, <laughs> so I went up there and the guy that I really met that really really had a profound influence on me a massive influence on me was uh and I, he just passed away too his name was Enrico Panardi and he became kind of like one of my art fathers he was sort of a kind of a real in a hard Boston accent when he would talk like that and he would be like all right he'd, he'd be sarcastic in, in, in a nice way but he was doing that to get you to really kind of overcome it and it was a life lesson, and and he was he was brutal in his critiques, but it was a, it was done to make you overcome that. And he immediately he and I really hit it off, and he got me into the work of H.R. Giger, uh, mm -hmm. who did Alien, and that was 1979 when when Omni Magazine made Giger a star. Uh, I mean, remember Omni Magazine? That was like I it was Omni every magazine. These, galleries of artists we'd never heard of and you're going oh my god these are incredible pieces and it was a high-end omni you could buy it they had tv ads you could buy it at the supermarket checkout um and anyway uh i you know it was that and then when when uh you know henry got me as we call him henrico we call him henry he got me into looking at um some of these great artists that i really liked that are fine artists and and and, and they were they could be called illustrators too but they were more fine artists and there was some of these these other people and he and he and, and his own work and his own thinking which is very different from mine but it was also inspiring it was also inspiring so he became a major 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 voice in my life and and you know and he and he had this he said like okay kiddo kid kid you gotta go out and do it that's what he taught me. okay kid you gotta go out and do it and he was 
one of the, um, uh, he's, so he's a great influence in my life. And that was around 1981. And he was the one that extolled a lot of realism and represent, even representationalism, uh, because he was what we call old school. He, he came out of the, 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 the you got to draw. He was really into drawing. You got to draw like that, you know. And at the time, even some of the other teachers at this place, the younger ones were, they were against the whole, they were like, well, you know, you don't need to do that. You can do non-representational stuff and take cardboard boxes and pile it up in the corner. And, you know, it, it was just, again, you know, it, I'm not against our schools now. I'm just saying it was the time, you know. That was, it was 40 years ago. This concludes part one of my interview with Bob Eggleton. In next week's episode, we delve into his early career, his process, and the love of his life, Godzilla. It's an interview you won't want to miss. To watch the video of this podcast or to see the images referenced in this episode, please visit nrm.org podcast. New episodes from the Illustrator Studio are released every Monday. For questions or comments, please email us at podcast at nrm.org. Music